Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, it's been many weeks since we did a program in the Prayers to the Creator series. We've studied only a few in the New Testament, and today you're going to discuss another one you found in the New Testament. Yes, Scott. The last prayer to the Creator we considered was in Ephesians chapter 4. The next one I found is in the Epistle to the Hebrews. And that continues the example we've seen in the New Testament. There are certainly numerous prayers recorded in the New Testament, but not very many fit our criteria as a prayer to the Creator. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Scripture, I don't mean to get off track concerning what you've prepared for studying the prayer in Hebrews, but it still is puzzling to me. Do you have any thoughts as to why there are so few creation prayers in the New Testament compared to the many we found in the Old Testament? You know, Scott, I have been giving it some thought, and I at least have a suggestion. It certainly isn't because there is some question about God's identity as creator in the mindset of the New Testament saints. In fact, this may sound counterintuitive, but perhaps it is because the identity of God as the Creator is so firmly established in the minds of God's people in the New Testament era that they don't address Him as such, at least not very often. So you're saying it was such an assumed fact, perhaps identifying God as the Creator was considered obvious? Yes, and I come to that conclusion because of the change in the Jews' mindset from the Old Testament to New Testament times. Scott, what sin were the Israelites continually falling into over the centuries from Moses until the Babylonian captivity? Well, in a word, idolatry. Exactly. And one of the principles that the Lord kept prompting the prophets to teach and preach was that the Lord, and only the Lord, was God. There was no other. And the most basic support for that claim was that he, and he alone, was the creator of the heavens and the earth and all they contain. In other words, the Lord kept having to remind and rebuke the idolatrous Israelites for considering other gods, idols, as responsible for creation as well as him. So, in the messages of the prophets and in their prayers, they address the Lord in part as a way of reminder by using his identity as the creator. The people needed to be reminded of that fact. But after the Assyrian deportation and Babylonian captivity, the Israelites finally learned their lesson concerning the folly of idolatry. And though the Jews obviously struggled with many errors in their understanding of God and committed many sins as a nation and as individuals, idolatry was not one of them. They were quite entrenched, and rightly so, in their monotheistic religion. And with their confidence in there being only one God, there was also no confusion as to who was the creator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, that makes a lot of sense. There was no pressing need to continually be reminding the Jews of Jesus' day that the Lord was the creator. Well, that's my suggestion. And the prayer that we're going to study in Hebrews chapter 1 may even support that idea. In the epistle to the Hebrews, the author is presenting the superiority of Christ over the angels, over Moses, the Aaronic priesthood, over the entire Old Covenant, and a number of other things. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is presented as God the Son, in other words, as divine. And so, in the very beginning of the letter, 
in the opening verses, the first quality or identity of the Son that is presented is, the Son is the Creator. The fact that God is the Creator is a given. So, to identify Christ as the Creator is to identify Him as God. No explanation needed as far as determining whether God is the Creator or not. The Hebrews already and completely assumed that. Right. But remember, that wasn't always the case. In their days of idolatry, they struggled with the Lord's identity as Creator. And so, what I find really interesting in this prayer we're going to read is, it is taken from the Old Testament, but applied to Christ here in the New Testament. Now, Scott, we've mentioned this prayer in Hebrews many times already, but we haven't read any of it or even given the reference in chapter 1. So, before we go any further, let's read the content of the prayer itself. It's Hebrews 1, 8 through 12. Go ahead and start reading. Okay, Hebrews 1, 8. But of the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. And thou, Lord, in the beginning didst lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hand. They will perish, but thou remainest, and they all will become old as a garment. And as a mantle thou wilt roll them up. As a garment they will also be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. So, of first importance... Note verse 8 begins by identifying the Son as the person the following statements describe. And secondly, note the statements are addressed to God. Making them a prayer. Precisely. But as I mentioned, these statements are actually quotations from the Old Testament. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, comes from Psalm 45, 6. So, Dr. Scripture, it's clear Hebrews is saying about the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. But then it seems confusing when it goes on to say, Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee. Who is thy God referring to? Well, that's a really good question. The Bible consistently reveals that the Father appointed the Son as king over the kingdom. It says so there in Psalm 45, and another example is in Psalm 2. Scott, read Psalm 2, 2. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. Now I'll read Psalm 2, verses 6 and 7. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. So that's what we'll read from Psalm 2. And what's fascinating is, though we didn't read the first seven verses of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5 quotes Psalm 2, 7. Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. So who is saying what here? The father is talking to the son there in Psalm 2. And so all that is quoted in Hebrews chapter 1 identifies the son. You know, I think we should go ahead and read those first seven verses of Hebrews 1 as well, because they are relevant to the prayer in verses 8 through 12. And as we read, I'll make some comments. So go ahead and start reading, Scott. Okay, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. 
God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Okay, so we'll stop there. Note this reveals that it was the Son who made the world. The Son is the creator. Of course, God is the creator. That therefore includes the Father and Spirit, for that matter. And the passage goes on to explain even more. Verse 3, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, so there in verse 3, we learn Jesus the Son upholds all creation by his word. That's some word. (laughs) Indeed. And now verse 4. Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. So there's that quote from Psalm 2. And then listen to verse 6. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. Now that is a quote from Psalm 97, 7. Who are the angels to worship? The Son. It is unthinkable to propose that the word of God would demand that the angels worship anyone but God. And then finally, Describing the relationship between the Son and angels, read verse 7, Scott. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So, those first seven verses of Hebrews 1, in quoting from several Old Testament passages, are identifying the Son, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, as God, as King, and as Creator. So, when the author of Hebrews quotes the prayer of Psalm 45 in verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews chapter 1, which says, God thy God has anointed thee, the Son is acknowledging the Father as his God. Now, that does not contradict the Son's identity as God as well. In fact, Jesus says the same thing after his resurrection. When he's talking to Mary Magdalene, it says in John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. So these passages all are the inspired words of God revealing the difficult-to-comprehend reality of the triune Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The author of Hebrews is verifying that truth to present the supremacy of Christ, as I mentioned earlier, over angels, over Moses, the law, and all things related to the Old Covenant. And quoting from the prayer of worship in Psalm 102 is simply additional confirmation of the Son's identity as the Creator. We already read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, which quote Psalm 102, 25, 26, and 27. So now let's read this passage in Psalm 102. Remembering we are told by the author of Hebrews that these words of worship and praise are addressed to the Son. 
So Scott, start at verse 24. Okay, before I do, I just want to point out that sometimes when there's a quotation from the Old Testament in the New Testament, the wording is a little different from if we were reading directly from the Old Testament Mm -hmm. because of translations. Sure. So is our quotation in Hebrews going to be very different from what we're about to read in Psalms? Well, there are some differences in the wording, but the meaning is clearly the same. So go ahead and start. Okay, Psalm 102, verse 24. O my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old thou didst found the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Even they will perish, but thou dost endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing thou wilt change them, and they will be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. So that's the portion quoted from Psalm 102 in Hebrews chapter 1. What a great prayer to the Creator, appropriate in the Old Testament and appropriate in the New Testament. As the author of Hebrews also reiterates in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, which says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.